1: Welcome back to Killer Fun. This is Christy. I'm Jackie. And we're so glad you're back with us today. We explore the intersection of crime and entertainment every other week. And we are super, super happy that you made the choice to spend a little bit of your time with us today. We know you have a choice. When you listen to podcasts, it's not like the radio where something just comes on. We understand that you're making a choice to listen to us. And we want you to know we really appreciate that. Yep, you're the best. We like to spend time with you. Exactly. So we watched for this week a Netflix original show called I Am a Killer. So good. It was really good. And we didn't watch the first episode. We watched the second episode cuz we're in San Antonio and this was all about a murder that happened in San Antonio. Hometown. Home- hometown crime. It's a hometown murder.
2: We love it. Yeah. <laughs>
1: But we don't we don't we don't it. love it. But we, love, but we gotta it. love it. But we love it. We love the intricacies and the oh it's so I it. had to explain that <sighs> recently actually
0: because really? I was telling somebody about our delightful podcast <laughs> and um and so I was telling him it's about well crime and a little murdery. We kind of love murder and so somebody else was laughing and <laughs> said, Oh that sounds weird. And I was like, Well it does, but it's we're not we don't love murderer. But we kind of love murder. But not really.
1: Yeah. And so I had to try to explain. (laughs) It's difficult to explain. Yeah. It's difficult to say. I find it fascinating. And I like to consume this kind of media, which obviously we are not alone. Not alone. There's so much of it. Netflix wouldn't be making
0: shows like this yeah, they if wouldn't. we were alone. But it's kind of like a police officer. They love their
1: job. Do they love crime? N- no, no. no. But they love hearing about it and learning about it and trying to stop it. So that's what I was going towards
0: is I think the thing is, I like the victory. Ooh, I like the victory in assessing it and working through it. And sure, it does like help the mind it's very puzzle oriented right Mm -hmm. but
1: Mm -hmm. I think I like the victory yeah well and I think that's why there's some crime shows that I don't care for as much yeah because when I watch the entertainment I like to see the whole picture and I like to see it wrapped up and I like justice done and very often on law and order you're watching it and like the bad guy doesn't go to jail. He like gets shot or he gets off on a technicality or something like that. And I find I'm like, so in that I'm like, Oh, they've got justice for this. And they're like, yeah, no, didn't work out. We had to throw it out because of blah, blah, blah. And I'm like, And you're left hanging. And you're left hanging and you don't get the justice. Well, so like Criminal Minds does this a little bit
0: because they don't catch the killer all the time. Right. But there's always some sort of debrief going on with the characters and you kind of watch how they struggle through this desire for it to uh, Mm -hmm. come to fruition, Mm -hmm. right? And so they talk about, uh, well, we'll get them next time. Or, you know what, this didn't work out, but today was still a happy ending in my book. I get invested in the character's... And how they are written, because right. I like how they debrief each other, encourage each other, and they're always yeah. looking for that victory, and they're always trying to see the humanity behind mm-hmm. these people. Mm-hmm. And I think that is something that fascinates me, too, because yeah. it feels a little like a victory to finally see the humanity in somebody, and
1: no matter what they've done. Yeah. We see a lot of that in this actual episode. So it's Killer in the Eyes of the Law, and um, Mike LaHood was was murdered by Mauricio Brown but the driver of the car Kenneth Foster Jr is the subject of this because under the Texas
0: law now this is so interesting because under the Texas law of parties yes even though he the driver was not the one who actually was even at the murder scene which was just up the driveway right he was in the car he is still convicted on death row, right? Well, was on death yes, row.
1: Yes, So, spoiler alert: he gets his his sentence gets commuted. Is so, that wrong? Was I should, should I not have said anything? No, I don't it's know fine. No, it's fine. <laughs> that's. I think that's totally fine. Okay, yeah. So alert. every time we talk about a TV show, spoiler, spoiler alert. alert. Well, exactly. I mean, we're kind of assuming that either you've watched the, the episode or the show with us or you don't care if it's spoiled, or you don't intend to watch it, but you still want to hear about it.
0: That's what I think. Yeah, I like that. Okay, good. So, spoil,
1: spoil, spoil. (laughs) Still run the spoiler alert, that's fine. But there are people who argue that the law of parties needs some reform, at least when it comes to the death penalty. So, in the documentary, we have... A lady, Lily Hughes, who was a campaigner, who was working to try and get first Kenneth Foster's con- not his conviction overturned, but his light, his sentence, se- his death sentence commuted, and now she's trying to get him out of. So she said something that really made me roll my eyes very, very hard. Are you kidding? What?
2: (laughs) I'm like, how can you hate her?
1: I didn't didn't hate her. I was not upset with her. But she did say something that made me roll my eyes really hard, which she said, the law of parties uh, requires people to be psychic to know what's going to happen in the future. And I rolled my eyes really hard because... You don't have to be psychic to see some things coming, that there is a reasonable expectation that you can understand that if you do X, Y, Z, this next thing will happen. Now, I'm not saying I have a a really hard time because I'm very of two minds. I'm not sure how I feel about the death penalty. Really? I'm surprised. I thought you would be very opinionated about this. Oh, I really, um, I don't. don't Okay, wait, wait, wait. Let's play a game. What do you think that I think about the death penalty? I don't know. See, and I think that you might be, like, pro, but only in specific circumstances. I'm about to blow your mind. Uh Uh-huh. No death penalty. Oh, okay. See, and I lean more towards that.
0: Yeah. Okay, good. Okay. That does that surprise you? It does well, a little bit. I think it does because um, there are, well, I am a mystery, an enigma. No. Many, amazing, many so fun to talk to you. <laughs> but I definitely, um, I definitely have changed over years. Uh-huh. Now, I would say about 15 years ago, uh-huh. I probably was what you just said. I was, well, it's got to be rare, Yeah. It's got to not be the first line of sentencing. Yeah. Um, But I think it has its purpose. Okay. And I have come kind of full circle because then I moved to more of a, no, this is an appropriate thing. And then I kind of moved back to the center and now I've kind of on the other side. Yeah, Okay. Um, That doesn't really have any
1: bearing on what I think about her statement though. Well, and my thought is that it's not unreasonable to say... So if your friend gets in the car with a balaclava and a gun and a bag with a dollar sign on it, and you drive them to a bank, you likely might be the getaway car. You're probably the get. You should, you know. <laughs> I'm. You should. My head is so. Funny. I know it's in my head too, and it's like if you see these things. Ergo, you should have expected that they were going to rob the bank that you drove them to. I I can agree with that. Now, I'm not saying that that's necessarily the case here. I don't know. I know that they committed robberies earlier in the night. I know that they had guns and had ill intent. He said they didn't go there to harm anyone right so two
0: things i think about that okay so first of all foster spoiler alert does say that the circumstances in which brown got out of the car was not the same type of circumstances that they would have done earlier right therefore he did not have the idea that something was about to go down because they would have never Never right. gone to have ill intent solo. Right. solo. And only one guy got out. Right. But he also does come back and
1: say, you know, I kind of egged him off. Yes. And Which it, he admitted it, like at the very end. And I was like, that's pretty brave.
0: It's brave of him to admit it. Um, and that brings me to my second point. I think there's a big difference between morally being able to predict circumstances okay. and where they go and legally.
1: Oh. That's fair.
0: I would teach my son that. Yeah. But I wouldn't expect a court to hold him accountable for it. Okay. He'd be grounded in my house.
1: You know? So, in the court of mom and dad, he'd be guilty he and punished. If he went to a
0: party in which people were drinking and smoking pot, and the party got busted and he got thrown in jail, right. I would fight for his release because he has no responsibility for the actions of another person just because he was at that party. Right. But as a parent, Oh, <laughs> you should have expected that the cops might show up. Thank you. Like dumb decision. Mama's gonna handle that. Yeah. So I think that's why I don't roll my eyes at the statement because I think she was speaking legally. Okay, and so I'm on her on her
1: bandwagon. Okay, with that. but morally, yes. I, I'm on your bandwagon. Okay, that's that's fair. Is that fair? Yeah. I I, I would argue that also that the. Law of parties, at least when it comes to the death penalty, should need some revision. Is that still the case? I believe so. That blows my mind. Yeah, that you're not the one who pulled the trigger. Okay, so, and the reforms that they're calling for. So, I was talking to my son about this a little bit. And I was like, this is why you got to be careful who you hang out with. See? Mama justice. That mama, is. mama justice right there. And here's why. Because this law of parties, your friend can do something stupid and you can pay the price for it. We were talking about it and he's like, well, why would that be a thing anyway? Why would, why would even that be a thing? If you didn't pull the trigger, I'm like, well, okay. So there's organized crime and contract murders and people who share intent where a stringent sentence, maybe not the death penalty, should be imposed even upon the people who didn't do it. And I said, so for example, you're a angry spouse, and you hire somebody to murder your other, the other person in the relationship, they should be in trouble because they pulled the trigger, but you should also be in trouble because you're but that law exists. Yes. And that's, well, that's part of the law of parties.
0: Here. But in other states, there's no law of parties, and yet still you can be charged if you can prove intent and, ac- and as an accomplice to the crime. Uh-huh. Yeah. See, so I think the law of parties takes the idea of responsibility, for instance, hiring somebody, uh-huh. and extends it to, rightful. you were part of what caused the chaos that resulted in this murder. Uh-huh. But I would say death penalty for really what is not capital murder in right. in in the way other states would see it. This right. is not premeditated murder. No, agreed. And so Texas has a very different idea of that where I would say, um, you know, if he gets out of the car and gets into a scuffle and a gun is pulled and guns are fired and somebody dies, that would not result in the death penalty anywhere else in the Fifty-one states. <laughs>
1: mm-hmm.
0: I said fifty-one. I know that. That's, I heard okay. it.
1: Okay, just making sure. I heard it. Okay. 50.
0: Well, I was well, thinking of Puerto Rico lately. Yeah, yeah. And so I've been yeah. kind of practicing with my boys about saying we might have fifty-one, 51 states. Oh, and mm-hmm. so
1: yeah, I heard yeah. it. Yeah. Okay. That's that's fine. a whole other subject for a whole well, other day. Oh, that's that's another day. We're not going to go to Puerto Rico <laughs> today. Well, there are thirty-one states in the United States that have. The death penalty that surprises me that it's that much yeah still. it really was me too okay and so <laughs> okay so I have some facts about the death penalty would you bring like it, bring to it, hear it, a few it. facts yes okay. I would like to hear it so since 1976 about 8,000 people have been sentenced with the death penalty and of those 1,483 have actually had the sentence completed uh huh. Seems like a all, a lot and not that many. Oh, both, all I, at I, the same I, it's, time. It's I mean, a yeah. weird
0: thing. I feel like, very magenta about yeah. that. <laughs>
1: <laughs> That's an apt description. Okay. And since 1973, 163 death row exonerations have taken place. So people who were on death row, 163 of them have been cleared of whatever sentence there were or hmm. whatever crime that they were supposed to have committed. And I think that's probably to me, like the stro- strongest argument against the death penalty is you're making a permanent. It's kind of like what you tell the kids about suicide That's is what you're I making was about to say, permanent choice to a, a problem that you can't change. It's a very permanent solution. Uh-huh. Um, you know. Yeah. I, yeah, I do know. And I, it's, it's so sticky. And I understand some families really feel like they need that kind of justice. But I feel like, you know, they, an eye for an eye makes everybody blind.
0: Well, and isn't yeah. that kind of the point? We can't call it rehabilitative services when we kill people. Right. There's no. You know, it's not correctional
1: facilities. If our correction is to wipe them off the planet, I would say our correction, correctional facilities, is rarely a accurate term. Oh, oh, oh! It's that opens up a whole nother rabbit hole down. It's almost always incarceration services rather than rehabilitation services.
0: Absolutely, and I think that's part of it. Is I do believe that some people are like me. And so I'm going to make a generalized statement here that may or may not be right, but I'm going to bloviate about it anyways. (laughs) Um, I think that people who have come to a place of being... Test your luck in the shadowy world of the Godfather slot. Someday, I will call upon you to do a service for me. Play the Godfather, now at chumpacasino.com. Welcome to the family. VDW Group, no purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. See terms and conditions, 18 plus. Against the death penalty, also then have many feelings about the failings of our services in in. Incarceration. Yes.
1: Well, and you can look to other countries and see how they treat criminals. Even just talked about Janet Moses. You know, they were found, her family was found guilty of murdering her, and they didn't feel like putting them in prison did any kind of service. It wasn't, it didn't give a, a family member a, a good feeling because you know, somebody was locked up Right. or nobody felt safer. It wasn't, it didn't make good sense in that particular case. So it doesn't make any difference. It's still vigilante justice, even if it's state run. That's. hmm. Oh, you have your surprise face on. I hadn't really thought of it like as being state run vigilante justice. That's how I feel about it. (laughs) Wow. That's. Ooh, okay, so you set, talked about rehabilitation. Yeah, so you've and got something interesting I there. Do, I do. I have some articles about rehabilitation and the place that it maybe could uh, be apropos to this because uh, Nico LaHood yes. was the brother of Mike LaHood. And Nico LaHood, Nicholas, for up until just recently in 2018, was the criminal district attorney for Bear County. And part of that was because his brother was a law student when he was killed. And this was kind of how Nico worked through it. And it's so it's really it's super interesting and I mean I was like, do I know this guy? He looks so familiar And I realized, oh no it's because I've seen him on television like local television like the news and stuff he's been on that's how I, I don't know him he lives on the other side of town and always has though he's close to my age so he would have been in the same like age bracket I, we, if we had lived in the same area we might have gone to high school together right so but it really got me thinking because he really found a a a very sweet faith I would say and it's really helped him deal with that and he believes in rehabilitation he believes that people can change and so I was like that got me thinking about like Okay, how can we put a positive spin on incarceration and the death penalty? (laughs) Because it's kind of a tough, touchy, dark subject. subject. Oh my gosh! Okay, so Texas has closed several prisons, four, I believe. Because they've closed them, they've saved about three billion dollars. Because it's very expensive to house inmates. It is expensive. In fact, some people will say this is
0: why the death penalty needs to exist. Is because for certain individuals who will absolutely never be released to the light of day again, it's cheaper to kill them. And this was an argument I used to hear a lot.
1: And it's actually not. Oh, that's interesting. It's a false argument. It is it is a false Do argument tell. um i don't i don't have an article about that but i remember reading about it uh, several years ago that the between the way they have to house them the way they're incarcerated when they're on death row that it's a low guard to inmate ratio and the level of security that they require and the cost of the drugs to to do that it's actually less expensive to have them in general population of a regular prison than to have them on death row
0: well that's so interesting because you say that and all of a sudden i'm thinking well that just makes plain sense I didn't even think about all of those mm-hmm. things, but I kind of just. I mean, thought, if you're going to
1: come at it from an economic standpoint, it's more expensive to execute people. That's
0: very interesting because I always thought that over a lifetime, you know, for people mm-hmm. who are incarcerated for life, right, that it would have been. Wow.
1: No, no it's not.
0: Well, good. Yeah. I'm glad. Yeah. <laughs> I'm glad. Makes it, makes it even gives easier. Me more ammo
1: <laughs> it's for a really bad cliche in this sentence. Um, <laughs> so there's a organization called um, Safe Streets and Second Chances. And they're a group of researchers who are looking at prisons in Texas, Louisiana, Florida, and Pennsylvania. And their idea is instead of incarcerating people and punishing them, and then working on their re-entry into society 90 days before their release, that you should be working towards their re-entry into society from the first day that they're in prison. Right it. Yeah. I, which I like I'm, it. I like it too. And they said that part of the problem is recidivism. Right, exactly. That with when you only start rehabilitation, quote-unquote, 90 days before their release – three out of four prisoners end up back in jail. Exactly. Because they're not prepared. They they don't have any kind of support system set up. They don't have any skills. They don't have interview skills. They don't have a good way to talk to a potential employer. So, And we have such a stigma against people who've committed felonies and spent time for it that instead of saying you've served your time, Now you're free, like you've been made new. They continue to not be able to find jobs. And what are they supposed to do? Exactly. Well, and when they're in there, what do they call it? Crime university? Yeah. I mean, because it's because they're not working to rehabilitate them. They're basically taking people and telling them that, you know, you're going to stop your life for this much time before you can go back out. And then, even then, your life's going to be different than it was before. Oh,
0: absolutely. I mean, it's Absolutely. Well,
1: and you know what? In any given situation,
0: if you're not working towards something, you're moving backwards. Mm -hmm. You really are. Right. Uh, You know? And so, if they're not in prison and receiving some help and some re-education on certain ways of thinking, for instance, this would be the way the moral justice would come into hand. Right. To say, okay you're here now let's talk about this whole party situation you know yeah let's talk about making better choices let's talk about all of these things if you're not doing that you're leaving a void in which basically terrorism starts to take hold and what you end up with is a bunch of people who are trying to survive when you're trying to survive you're willing to do other things and then what happens is it starts to influence your character it's you're either going up or down right and that's kind of how it is and God bless some of the inmates that I have heard the stories of who have really found amazing things to do, you know, while they've been incarcerated. And I think, I wish that was more common. Right. Because I see the strength in those individuals and I'm just, I'm thinking, wow, I don't know how you did it.
1: I don't even know how, but whatever you did, let's spread that away Uh around, you know? Well, and some of that is like in internal motivation That some people have, yeah, and you always wish that they could have found that internal motivation prior to going (laughs) to jail. (laughs) That's true, you know. But I mean, sometimes that's what it takes. What it takes for some people. So in two thousand and seven, the Texas Legislature thought that they would need another seventeen thousand beds over the next five years, and so they implemented some reforms, including expanded drug courts. So rather than sending junkies to jail, you help them get treatment. Not the idea! <laughs> Imagine that. People with mental health issues get treatment. Oh, don't and even rather, let uh, me started oh, on that one. Oh, I know, because yep. that's basically what we, a lot of what the prisons are being used for, is to treat people with mental illness, and they're treating them poorly. Yeah. Not, not because the people who work inside the prisons are uncaring but there's just there's a lot of people and when you have a mentally ill person it's they're more difficult to deal with it's not there. a system set up for. no it. it's really not by implementing these programs getting people out of like a regular the regular sort of system they've actually been able to close the four prisons and save billion rather than adding 17,000 beds by looking at the problem and saying, hey, we should do this more. It's not really working. What else can we do? So, but it's expensive. Okay, so they've been able to close four prisons. Awesome. Save $3 billion. People will argue and say that it's expensive to rehabilitate people. And it is expensive, but it's more expensive to have them keep coming back to prison. You know what? That's one of those it's cheap for the price. Well it's like doing the maintenance on your car. Right. It's more well, expensive I'm gonna, to do the maintenance on my car. No it's not. It's, it's expensive it's, to buy a new car. Yeah. It, oil <laughs> changes are so expensive. Well you know what's really expensive? Replacing your engine. Yes, exactly. And
0: also also, can we stop putting such arbitrary price tags on people? It's not expensive when it comes to investing in people mm-hmm. like that's just where my argument is and i don't care how expensive it is you know what let's do it right because that's a system that will start serving itself see really I really quickly. feel that way about a whole lot of things
1: like yeah. education and health care and all that stuff like they're like it's too expensive we can't do it it's too expensive we can't do it it's too expensive not to do it thank you exactly <laughs> So these, th- these things, it's too expensive not to do it. And there was a judge in Harris County, which is near Houston, or in Houston, in or near Houston. <laughs> <laughs> Harris County is around Houston. <laughs> and he was talking to a defendant, and he said, you are who you are, and your history is not going to change but I do believe in redemption. And because this guy had been in and out of prison a bunch of times, and they finally put him into a rehabilitation reentry program the last time he was in jail. And when he came up for parole, they they let him out. And five years later, he's not back in jail, he has a job, he's doing well, you know, it's, it's a big deal. It's a huge deal. It's worth it. Well, and, and there are a lot of programs. There are. I was about to say, you know, you mentioned uh,
0: Nico LaHood and mm-hmm. how he ended up finding a faith that kind of brought him out of depression. Right. Almost. He, the way he talked about everything was so honest. I have to say, I was, I was blown away by the authenticity of a guy who really has been in politics. Right. <laughs> yeah. Yes, <laughs> um, and so he he's used this, and he speaks on it, and, and his faith was so sweet, and really he had to go through a restorative process after all of that, because, well, I'm not going to speak ill of the dead, but I will say this situation that Brown and Foster found themselves in was not they weren't the only party no there was a part of it that was on the Lahud side right. and i'm sure that nico would not agree with me but but um, I, think I think in think fairness he, i think he might you think he might?
1: Think, he might. think he might i think he might i think he would say his brother didn't deserve to die but he admitted that he at one point had sold drugs and i think he very much sees himself in the people that he was prosecuting that had the situation been different, he just as easily could have been, been out, out on, on that porch. side. Yeah, <laughs> he could have been on the other side rather than being a criminal district attorney. Okay, well, so
0: that's fair. I I wanted to say that, but um, because no. I feel like his faith was so important in his own redemption, and and there was a a party there. Well, what about faith for inmates, right? And so there's an amazing program called God Behind Bars that yeah. takes church and takes it inside the prison. And right. There's one going to be started here uh, in Texas in San Antonio. Mm-hmm. Right. And just, just south
1: th- of San Antonio, just south of
0: San Antonio, it's like
1: eighty miles from where we are. Is
0: it eighty miles? Wow, thought it was shorter than that. No. Um, but this prison is working with God behind bars, and they are establishing a church, like a full-on church right. inside the prison, and yeah. it's connected to a church outside the prison, so when these people are released, yeah. there is a church body outside, and see, that's something that is, that I see, well look, Nicole Hood had that, he had a church, yeah. well, you know, for those who want to find a faith to have that redemption, right?
1: Well, and it's what a great way to have a community ready to support you, which is kind of the whole point. That's why a lot of these kids, I mean, that's why Foster ended up, with these people in the first place. And he feels so terrible because his parents, they had a lot of issues. Yeah. And he ended up being taken in by his grandfather. And his grandfather said when he was in middle school, he ended up with this bad group of kids. And, you know, he feels terrible, now Kenneth Foster does, about disappointing his grandfather. And so that kind of got me thinking about, like, what do you do when your kid? Falls in oh, with bad friends. yeah. Because, like, how do you deal with that? And, you know, I was like, I mean, I th- my son, I think, has good friends. I, my daughter is little enough that and sheltered enough that I don't worry as much about her friends. Yet. Yet. <laughs> Yet. <laughs> yes yet we'll see (laughs) i i looked up an article it says does your child have toxic friends six ways to deal with the wrong crowd and i thought they were kind of interesting and i was like i want not not to say that kenneth's grandfather would have been able i mean they're humans who have free will who can make their own choices there's only so much you can do but you know since we're talking about it, wouldn't you would wouldn't he have liked to have been able to figure out a way to pull his grandson back from that, back from that influence, back from and maybe deal with some of the underlying issues. So their first way was to avoid repeated criticisms of their friends. <laughs> That's so hard. Yeah. It's really hard, but it's they said they you don't want to They hang out with these people for a reason. They identify with them for a reason. So when you call their friends a bad person, it's like you're saying you're a bad person. Ooh. Ooh. Yes. So instead, their second thing was to make clear statements about the friend's behavior. You don't vilify the child that your child is friends with. You vilify their actions and their behavior. That makes sense. <clears throat> that which makes I sense. thought was helpful. I don't like the way they behave. And I don't like the way you behave when you're with them. Right. That makes a lot Not of sense. you're a bad person and they're a bad person, but they the way they're behaving isn't appropriate. So you invite them into your home and help them learn a better way of behaving. Hmm. Hopefully you're teaching your own child a better way of behaving. Right. Yeah. Uh, then it, you use structure. So if you don't like your kids' friends, you say you can't go out with them on school nights, you know, which I'm like, who's, who's going-, kids going out on school nights? I'm, I'm, maybe I'm just old fashioned. I'm like, no, no, it's a school night. You have like studying and stuff to do. Yeah. There's yeah. just too much to There's do in like, general. Yeah. Well, school night. Exactly. And then they say they're going to the football game and you catch them at the mall there's a consequence for that. There's a consequence, which I'm like, now it's a whole lot easier to recognize this stuff. <laughs> when I can remember when I was in high school, you know, telling my parents I was going one place and going another place. You no. did it. Yes, I did all the time. No. oh, no. all the time. Why, do I seem like I would have been a goody two-shoes? Yes. No, not. I I tried it once. Oh, once did you get caught? Oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. Yeah.
0: Busted. Busted. Oh, totally time. busted. And that was, I mean, God busted me. <laughs> Everything went well, except for this one little fluke. Uh-huh. And that was it. Yep. <laughs> and that was it. I never did it again.
1: Oh. Yep. Yeah, I got busted a few times, but it just made me better. <laughs> <laughs> I was better at it. and so and then they suggest that you set limits so I think that kind of goes hand in hand with structure is you know right you you can do this but not this and when you do that your child can choose not to follow those limits but that's their choice if I think the whole Idea mostly is that you set the limits so they know where their boundaries are, and if they choose to cross them, then they know there's going to be consequences if they're caught. Right, this sounds just like good parenting, actually, is what it sounds like. Yeah, but I think a lot of people don't think about it this way a lot of the time, which is kind of an issue. And then going out on Friday night is not a right. Very often, especially once your kids get to be teenagers, you're going to tell them yes. You can go, but they need to clear it with you first. I would like to go to the football game. Check with me first. Right. I'm sorry that you bought your ticket already, but you didn't check with me first. And we have something else coming on. And you cannot go. Right. You know, whatever. It's just you make sure that they understand that because they are juveniles, because you are responsible for them, they got to check with you before they go out. Makes sense. It seems fair. And then talk to them about their mean friends. They said sometimes kids will get involved with people who are really unkind to them. And you know, why is that? Hey, why are you why are you friends with these people? They're mean to you all the time and they said that they join these groups because it gives them protection that when they're being bullied by somebody if they join that group they're no longer bullied. Well, and that's something that does exist as a as a known kind of mechanism
0: that drives gang affiliations in certain cities especially but you know in inner cities is kind of a general term but yeah um but in areas where there's a lot of gangs right that this is something that's common and I think we we kind of underestimate how much this actually goes on in your typical child just generally well I mean my kids will joke that like the school feels like prison sometimes. Mm-hmm. Well, and this is also what happens inside the prison is right. you have these affiliations and you find people who protect you. And so I can totally see mm-hmm. that that's something. And it's hard though, because you're telling them don't do that. Well, right. where are they going to receive that protection and how it's just such right. like, a sticky time? It, it,
1: well, it is. <laughs> I think it's always sticky. I think every parent thinks, gosh, man, it's so much harder being a teenager now than when I was a teenager. And it's true in some ways. It is true in some ways. But it's also just different. We can, we have a harder time relating to what the teenagers are going through because my parents couldn't really relate to my teenage experience because there was 50 years between their tear not 50 years 35 years between their teenage experience and mine
0: right things you know, change yes. and it's just different and right. that makes it hard i don't know whether it makes
1: it harder for any generation i think it's i think we all think that we have it harder and i think maybe we're all right, and we're none of us right. <laughs> that makes sense. Yeah, oh, God. I'm glad sense. that makes sense to you. <laughs> um, and their final thought was um, you can do all these things. You can set limits. You can manage, help them learn to manage their time. You can encourage them to make good choices, but to remember that they're going to change during adolescence. So Kenneth Foster changed during adolescence, because that's what we do. These hormones change and we grow up and we're trying to navigate our world. Yep. And I think Kenneth Foster, he expressed a lot of authenticity
0: also. Yes. Uh, and I will say, I went in with a little bit more skepticism because he has a conflict of interest to sound very appealing right. in this interview. Right. Um, but to that end, so does LaHood. Yeah. Michael LaHood, who they interviewed, he has an expressed interest in sounding... Very judicial with all this whole thing. And yet still on both of them, I felt a level of authenticity in their in their countenance because both admitted things that I think they probably wouldn't have admitted had they succumbed to their conflicts of interest. Very fair. I don't know. You know yeah. that um I think I have friends whose parents thought I was the toxic one growing up. Really?
1: Because you really were a goody tissue. I flat out was
0: a goody (laughs) tissue. I mean, like, really. Uh My husband makes just lots of
1: fun of words. Well, that's because he was the bad. He
0: really was the toxic (laughs) one. (laughs) And yes, I was and not. not, you were not. But I had friends' parents absolutely treat me like I was the toxic one, like that I was the one bringing bad influences into their mm. lives. Totally got ghosted by one.
1: Really? Yeah, yeah. I totally
0: got ghosted. I think yeah. all is well now. Maybe like as an adult, they they might see me thanks to Facebook. Yeah, they might see me as A something different. different. Mm-hmm. But I totally got ghosted, and I don't. And and in other situations, I just you know. Well, by the way as parents we have to remember our friends um or our kids friends i should say they hear us yes they hear what we say yes well i heard i heard things mm. i heard things and yeah. you have to be careful and and i always knew that i was kind of considered the bad kid oh yeah
1: maybe that's why i was a goody two shoes cuz i was yeah cuz you wanted to prove him wrong prove him wrong you had an axe to grind i did <laughs> <laughs>
0: I don't know. I mean, it's silly because I was so, but you know, I think it's because I had a boyfriend. Oh. I was young. I had a boyfriend. I don't know. Maybe that like, you're shaking your head. I I
1: don't understand that. I don't understand why like. I don't know. hmm, That's interesting. Foster's sentence did get commuted, which I think was fair. I feel like. The sentence that he got after the death penalty was commuted was a much more fair sentence. Much more fair. For the part that he played in it. Now, we didn't hear everything that went on in that courtroom. Obviously, whatever was said in that courtroom was enough to convince a jury that they were there for no good and that there there should have been an expectation that something bad was gonna happen if they went where they went.
0: It's hard to think that somebody can see it without without employing some hindsight it's 2020. Yes. I and mean, it's
1: hard to know what went down and then decide what people thought beforehand. Right. Well and they committed a couple of armed robberies earlier in the evening well and i get that but kenneth foster he was very very clear listen yeah. this is not how you rob people <laughs> right <laughs> like it well, doesn't even make sense
0: like that's right. not even how this well and
1: i my understanding is there was some uh drug activity in that area and i you know i don't know who was selling who was buying what was going on but anytime you're going to sell or buy drugs you've there's an expectation that things could go south very quickly. We're watching Breaking Bad with my son, Ooh. which I'm so glad that he's, like, to an age where I can be okay with the language. Right. It makes it so much easier. Yeah, because there's a whole – there's a lot of language I mean, if anybody, I don't know why you wouldn't be familiar with Breaking Bad, but if anybody's unfamiliar with Breaking Bad, there's a lot of a lot of language language in it, especially for a you know basic cable television show. They had a lot of leeway. They had so many f words that they were allowed per season, and you know one became like a mantra of the whole show. Yeah, yes so it's interesting to look at that and watch it and say okay there is an expectation that what you're doing is illegal and dangerous i don't know if that was what was going on i think there's i'm making some assumptions there but i think there might not be unfair assumptions it is interesting to
0: me though Mm -hmm. what happened to the other two in the car yeah, I don't know. And that's my okay. problem with this. Okay, oh, so,
1: so I think the idea is Mauricio Brown actually pulled the trigger, and Kenneth Foster drove away. The other two were passengers in the car. But well, maybe they, maybe they, follow, they Well, it the law like, parties, these people should have been tried
0: just the same, and they all four should have been on death row. If you're going to use the Law of parties, And I think that's my See, problem and with I, it.
1: Well, and I think that maybe not. Okay. Because... M- maybe not. Because they were... Neither one of them in control... The other two people in the car, neither one of them were in control of a the gun or b the car. And I keep thinking back, well, why didn't one of them call the police? Because, well, because they'd robbed people earlier in the evening. That's one reason. B, it was 1996;
0: <laughs> they, they probably didn't
1: have cell phones. Maybe they were driving to a payphone. <laughs> oh, it is hard to imagine a world without cell phones, right? Yeah, I mean, really, they're so ubiquitous. I mean, uh, we have them in our pocket. We take them with us everywhere we go. One of my favorite lines from the new Jumanji movie. Have you watched what? Jumanji? No, I haven't okay Okay. I watched the old one not that long ago and was a little my kids did not like it and I was a little disappointed that I didn't enjoy it as much as I did before but you said this one's pretty different right? oh the
0: new one is hilarious Mm -hmm. you've got to go watch the new one the old one is classic in its way but it's dated yeah but the new one really funny because a little bit of not spoiler so much but there's talk of cell phones with somebody who has been in the game for longer and so um, this person has been stuck in the game since before cell phones. Right. And so, the <laughs> Jack Black's character uh-huh. um, says, oh, I wish I had my phone. And they kept saying this throughout. And finally, the guy who has been there forever turns around and says, does phone mean something different now? <laughs> <laughs> and everybody kind of went, like, yeah. yeah. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Like, it had kinda, to think about that for yeah, a moment. it kind of It kind of does. does. So, yeah, you know, it's yeah this one uh,
0: is not so happy but I I have to say though the uh, watching something that's close to home that involves people you've heard of Mm -hmm. to see their story it brings up a lot of conflicting ideas and emotions and I feel like This is the Law and Order episode you mentioned earlier.
1: Yeah, where you don't really get the... There's not a victory here. No. Well, okay. I kind of see a victory. Ooh, share. Okay. So in this article I had like from 2007, August of 2007, right after Kenneth Foster Jr. got his... Sentence commuted. This is a whole article about that. Norma LaHood, Michael Hood's mother, said she took the commutationist divine will and that she was filled with peace and that she will always mourn for her son, but that she didn't feel like she had to relive his death anymore. Hmm. Which I was like, how great is that? So that got me thinking about like forgiveness mm. and. Nico LaHood also basically said he forgave Kenneth Foster and, by extension, Mauricio Brown for their part in it. That he didn't hold any animosity towards them anymore. Now, at this time, Kenneth Foster Jr.'s grandfather went and met with Nico LaHood, which was interesting and touching. It was an awkward. It was it was really awkward. They were both very earnest and it was ironic because for Kenneth Foster to get released, he needed the support of two high-ranking officials and one of them was the district attorney of Bear County who was at the time Nico Lahood. So there was forgiveness in that Nico Hood no longer held animosity, but he wasn't willing to go so far as to advocate on behalf of Kenneth Foster Jr. for his release. So this bothers me. Really?
0: This bothers me that there is nothing in place that would recuse Nico Hood from being that high-ranking official when it involves his family. That's fair. I don't like that because even though I thought Nicola Hood's actions and meeting with the the grandfather was mm-hmm. um, actually was kind, even I would say he was he wasn't just polite; he was kind, right? Um, and I thought that was good, but there is no
2: Dot com. No purchase necessary. Void prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.
0: To have to make those kinds of decisions. That is
1: extremely fair.
2: That is
0: the state putting him in a very poor conflict of interest for all parties. Mm-hmm. Because it's a burden for all of them. And, you know, that's that surprised me that there wasn't anything in place for that. Yeah.
1: Well, but, I mean, I think maybe that's a fairly unusual set of circumstances. Well, but
0: there's there's policies in place for if an, uh, an attorney, you know, yeah. ADA or somebody, uh, and a police officer, all of these people have hmm. some kind of process of being, you know, Accused able to step away. from situation. Yeah. Yeah, um, even the judge it. can say, mm-mm, I, I think... I think actually, mm. had the grandfather taken it to a judge to say, "Yeah, they might have. this person has to be recused from making this decision." Then, okay, well, I think it would have been right. that way. I thought it was interesting though because um, this flips the tables. Right. In this case, forgiveness was a moral thing, and yet under the eyes of the law, there need no be visit forgiveness. Mm. There okay. need not be forgiveness. Right? Fair. So, yeah. Again, I don't have a happy feeling about this whole okay. thing. Even though, even though it was really well done, uh, the yeah. interviews were uh, really well done.
1: I I come away with this like, uh, uh-huh. yeah, like, of oh, the whole situation. Yeah, there wasn't any really a resolution. Well, okay, the resolution now is that there's possibly a n- new opportunity for Kenneth Foster Jr. because Nico the Hood did not get reelected. So there is a different person in that district attorney position who could advocate for Kenneth Foster's release. I would say based on what Kenneth Foster Jr. said at the end of this interview about egging Mauricio Brown on a little bit, I would say that's probably not something that's going to happen. And you know who I feel most sorry for? Is the grandfather? The grandfather, Lawrence. Because Lawrence has been working for two decades trying to get his grandson out of jail, first off of death row and then out of jail. He's in his 90s. He wants to live to see his Grandson out of jail. And see,
0: I think that statement at the end actually works in his favor. Really? I do. Because so? he's taking responsibility for his part in it. Okay. Which is the rehabilitation process. Right. See, he didn't understand what he did wrong. Right. Right? But being in jail, he finally had to realize <laughs> I didn't think that this was a problem, but not understand. That I did have a party to this, and right. I get that. And yet he can stand and say, morally, I understand how I contributed to this situation, um, but legally I have served yeah. my time. Yeah, That this mistake does not equal the sentence I've had. And right. now that I understand what I've done wrong, I can advocate for... The fact that my sentence is inappropriate, undue punishment, and I have served my time, and I understand that, and so maybe I think it might work in his favor. Huh. I you don't, have, I don't. You're know. not on board. With I that. don't.
1: Well, I, j- I just don't know. It seems like admitting admitting more guilt than the people working for his release would want him to. Mm, interesting. Yeah, that might be true. So, I don't know. It feels very political. And I don't like that at all. Ooh, ooh. Maybe that's why I don't like this. Because it feels political rather than like justice. It feels very political. It
0: does feel like even the documentary was used. And I feel, yeah. Of course, he said it. Very fair. He said it at the end. He He was like, maybe this is my only chance to speak is this documentary.
1: I don't know. No. And I think that's, I feel like it's playing a game. And I understand that politics is a game. I don't think politics should be a game. Ooh, man, it's a door. tough. That's a door to open. It is a door. I don't want to open it. Okay, let's close okay, that. Okay, we're going to close that. So talking about forgiving murderers. <laughs> I should laugh at that. That's not a that's an totally inappropriate inappropriate place to laugh. No, it wasn't an inappropriate place to laugh. It was <laughs> it was okay, so we laughed. Do you know why we laugh? We laugh because things are either funny or they don't make sense. And usually those things are one and the same. Like something's funny because you're not expecting it. Right? Okay? So that's why you laugh. Because you weren't expecting me to <laughs> talk about forgiving murderers. Okay, I that's fair. I'll take that. Let's go with that. Okay. Yeah, I like it. So in June of 1973, seven year old Susie Yeager was kidnapped from a campsite that she was at with her family in Montana by a man named David Meyerhofer. She was kidnapped. It was 18 months before they found out what happened to her. She uh, she did die. She was had been murdered about a year after the murder. Meyerhofer like, called and kind of taunted the family a little bit. And it was really ugly, awful. I'll post this whole article because it's interesting and fascinating. But her take on it, Marietta Yeager is her name. She asked herself the question... How am I supposed to make it through this? And the answer to that, she said, changed her life. I realized that if I gave into rage and fury, that desire for revenge, it would consume me and I'd never be any good for anyone. When we live with rage and bitterness, we destroy ourselves and we give the killer another victim. Ooh, Which I was like, wow. That's well said. <laughs> what a depth of character. To be able to recognize that in in the midst of your grief, especially when they didn't know she'd been kidnapped. They didn't know if she was alive, if she was not. Evidently, she was probably, probably lived and was abused for about a week before she was murdered, which is awful. Awful. Awful, awful in and of itself. But she trained herself every day to feel concern for her child's abductor. Ooh. Oh, so hard, right? All I can think is I
0: have a special set of skills. <laughs>
1: <laughs> you know day. what
0: I'm saying? Like, that's 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 a place I can't get to. My character isn't built there yet. Um, it kind of makes me think of The Shack. Have you seen The Shack? No, I have not. Have you read but The I, Shack? I
1: haven't read it. I've read about it. Yeah, it kind of
0: makes me think of The Shack, this whole story. Um, and I will say that... In what way? Tell us. Well, the story is similar. Yeah the the, 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 the child died. the child being abducted and dying, and and basically the father is the one kind of on this journey of hate and rage and bitterness. And you know, God comes to him in all of the three forms. It comes mm-hmm. to him as the judge. You know, he comes to the Holy Spirit and as the Father, and the four of them sit and they discuss and they kind of have this experience. And through that, um, he's able to talk to the Father, he's able to talk to the Holy Spirit, and talk to the Judge about the situation. And through this, they do end up showing him a way to forgiveness, a, a way to forgiveness through compassion for the abductor, mm-hmm. which was something he had to build towards. He had to build towards it. And so they had to kind of show, and in the book they talk about um, the child in heaven coming to kind yeah. of say, you know. And so it was a, it's a very, yeah. very difficult book. Yeah. But if you, if you need help with forgiveness towards something like that, mm-hmm. it actually is helpful. helpful, even though it's an ugly, ugly journey. Um, and I have read that, and I have seen the book, and still... I'm not there, and nothing's yeah. happened to me. I don't right. have anything in my past that has happened to me. Well, but pray that you never do. Right, <laughs> but as a parent, you sometimes you get afraid, and I'm telling you,
1: yeah. boy, I'm Liam Neeson, <laughs> that you're all gonna go take in on this. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and then they talked about in the same article that uh two days after a racist gunman fired shots in a at a Bible study in Charleston, South Carolina. Oh yes. Yeah, in a historically black church. Man's name is Dylan Roof, they the victims and the family forgave him, like publicly said, We forgive you. We can we can't let hate win and it got me to thinking about, you know, forgiveness is for you and not for the other person and holding on to resentment is like drinking poison and expecting the other person to die. Right. Sometimes other people need your forgiveness, but you don't give them forgiveness because they need it. You give it to them because you need it. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. Likewise, uh, Bill and Denise Richard, uh, were at the Boston marathon when the bombing occurred Ooh. and they had a eight-year-old son who died and a seven-year-old daughter who lost a leg. Really, really tough. And they had a really, a really practical reason to petition the judge to not assign the bomber whose name I cannot say. Um, <laughs> it's foreign and long with a lot of C's and <laughs> misplaced vowels. <laughs> Um, they had a really practical reason for saying don't give him the death penalty. And what that was led, that? Well, it was that it was, there was going to be a lot of appeals if they did that because there's an automatic appeal anytime there's a death penalty given in a case that it was going to keep it in the news and they were going to have to keep reliving the death and dismemberment of their children that is... over and over again. Now, they ended up giving him the death penalty anyway. But I was like, oh, well, what a reason to not That
0: is a very practical reason that they would have to live with it longer.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: Uh, that's interesting. Yeah. That's not a perspective I have ever thought about. Before. No. Even even as many crime TV shows we watch, <laughs> they don't talk about this. They need to fix that. Yeah. They talk about, you know, a lot of the other processes, but they don't talk about that. Of course, that was such a public a public event. Right. But
1: um, I'm sure that that's not everybody's Uh, experience. Right. And I would say there's probably more of a public outcry for a death sentence in that case than there was maybe even from the victim's families. I don't know, mob mentality. I don't know if that's a good reason to sentence somebody to death because, I mean, there's a reason they stopped having public executions like in, the 1830s in the United States. Marietta Yeager did forgive her child's murder. Um, Meyerhofer didn't end up spending any time in jail, really, because after he confessed, uh, a guard gave him a towel so that he could clean up after being interrogated, and he ripped up the towel and hung himself. He was a serial killer, though, to be fair. And the whole article talks about like that there were other children and teenagers ugh. that he killed, and oh. My final thought from this article: a right response to evil, forgiving is not a spiritual mulligan. It doesn't give criminals a free pass. And um, Marietta Yeager coaches people in the basics about executions don't really honor the victim. They're just creating another person that is suffering another family that's suffering because of the actions, which that's a lot of strength. I would say a supernatural strength. Mm-hmm. I would say that's not a strength that humans come by on their own. It, exactly. Yeah, exactly.
0: Um, although, I mean, there are people out there who have testified that after the death penalty, they, they, They did feel a closure. And I will say that Nico LaHood... So, by the time that he was having a conversation with the Grandfather Lawrence about Kenneth Foster, see the man who pulled the trigger...
1: Yeah, Mauricio Brown. ...had already been
0: executed. And Nico went to that. Nico went to that. So, I would say that his faith definitely is the cornerstone of how he got through it. But he also did find some closure in the death penalty. Hmm. That's an interesting difference. Um, right? And it actually made me think he might be more amenable to Kenneth Foster's release, knowing that the trigger man had been executed and that Kenneth Foster had served so many years. Um, So I was actually surprised that he did not advocate. Mm -hmm. Hmm.
1: I wasn't surprised at all because it seems like I'm, I'm totally fine with he wasn't executed. When he didn't pull the trigger, but he deserves to be in prison, was what I, the impression that I got from it, which I'm like.
0: Yeah, oh, maybe no. I struggle with that a little bit. Again, I go back to, he should not have been one making the decision.
1: Yes, it's agreed. At all. Agreed. At well, all. and now no, he's no <laughs> longer the person making that decision. Yep. Uh, Sorry. We'll right. Yeah. So if you're interested in reading any of the articles and things that we've talked about that helped inform our discussion today, you can find us on Facebook, Killer Fun, the intersection of crime and entertainment. You can find us on Twitter at Killer Fun Pod, or if you don't have access to either one of those, but would still like them, send me an email at KillerFunPodcast at gmail.com
0: awesome well yeah. I'm glad you spent some time with us today I know we yeah. had a heavy subject today, yeah. didn't we yeah. um but you know what sometimes sometimes you just got to talk about that stuff
1: yeah yeah exactly and next time we're going to talk about uh the movie what lies beneath I can't wait to watch this <laughs> oh my gosh with Harrison Ford and Michelle Pfeiffer um it's super interesting it's been a long time it's got a little paranormal (laughs) and since it's going to be close to halloween we thought that might be kind of fun so we're going to try and do a little fun a little less deep but still good and creamy yes good (laughs) and creamy good and creamy so thank you so much (laughs) we'll see you next time see you next time